I'm going to get my steps in walking back from the guitar and the, and the pulpit, but it is a joy to be with you this morning. Thank you for welcoming me. Let us go to our God. Before we read scripture, let us pray uh, that he would illumine our hearts and our minds. Heavenly Father, we come before you now, ready to read your word, ready to hear from you, but we need our hearts and our minds and our souls opened that you indeed, Father God, would speak to us. Without your Holy Spirit speaking to us, without your Holy Spirit leading us through your word, without your Holy Spirit indeed uh, teaching us, we would be lost. So Father God, Holy Spirit, speak to us now, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture this morning is from Revelation chapter 5, starting at verse 1, and we'll read through verse 14. Revelation chapter 5, 1 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what it says. It's a beautiful picture. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls, bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders And in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, make the book alive to me. Make the book alive to me. 
Feed us by and nourish us by your word, for we know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from this book. So speak to us and feed us now, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, my name is Ben Gandy, and I want to thank you all for welcoming us here, me and my family. My, my wife and my son are here just in that back row. Uh, it's Lindsay and Jude. We are very thankful, and we uh, look forward to getting to know some of you uh, even more. So just a little bit about me. Uh, I'm here with my wife and my son, uh, and Jude is his name. It's not short for Judah. Uh, I did go to seminary with Pastor James and Sarah, and they beat us to the name Judah by just a couple months. Uh, So uh, we named our son Jude. Uh, uh, And along with two Australian shepherds at home, we are, are, Jude keeps us pretty pretty, uh, busy on our toes. Now, I grew up all over. Uh, My wife, Lindsay, is from, she's, she's basically from the Grand Rapids area where we serve a church. But I grew up uh, all over, mostly middle school and high school, I grew up in England, in, the, in London, England. Um, and I have one sister and her husband. Uh, my, my sister and her husband live in Germany. Um, well, I came back to the United States. She stayed over there. Uh, I came back to the United States for college. I did my undergrad um, at Calvin College. And then I worked in a church as a youth director for four years. Uh, Then I went back to seminary for four years, and now I've been serving in a church. uh, It's called Sunshine Community Church for four years. So I've been in Grand Rapids for about 17, uh, 18 years, and it is where I am from. But as I say, uh, my parents uh, just recently moved from uh, England to uh, London. They were not missionaries. Uh, They were just, uh, that's where my dad's job took him. Now, if you can remember... uh, I remember back to my uh, young days when I was a wee little boy, and my dad would always say these phrases to me. He would always have these correcting or loving phrases, and one of the phrases he always said to me whenever I would shoot a, shoot a hoop well or I would dig a hole very well for him for his roses or maybe I would cut an onion well, he would always say to me, Benjamin, do it again. Make sure it wasn't an accident. And I would say to myself, oh, uh, yes, I will do it again. Yes, Father. But another thing I heard when I was young, and I'll share this with you, another thing I heard when I was young is this phrase. It'll all be good in the end. If it's not good, it's not the end. Now, this vision that we see in the book of Revelation is a vision of goodness. And I suppose it... It all depends on how you read the book of Revelation. We haven't, we haven't time to discuss whether this is a vision that has happened, whether this is something that will happen, whether it's just a metaphor for something that has happened or will happen in the, in the future. I, I, we don't have time to discuss that. Rather, I want to spend time talking about the gospel. I want to spend time talking about Jesus because if there's anything that attracts my attention more than fly fishing or motorcycles or dogs or Jude or Lindsay, Lindsay comes first, then all those other things. It, well, Jesus, Jesus is what comes first. And I want to talk about Jesus. It will always be Jesus and God and the good news of a saving work for those who believe in him. So I encourage you, 
to have your Bibles open. We will be uh, looking back at the text um, and, and uh, just a little bit about how I, I look at sermons. I am a very structured person. It helps me remember where I am. So there will be kind of three parts to this sermon. The first part will be we'll look at the sinners in the text. We'll look at the sinners in the text. Then the second part will be looking at the Savior uh, the sinners in the text who are unworthy. Then we'll look at the Savior who is worthy. And lastly, we'll look at the service that we can do or the way that we respond. So you could think of it like sinners, saviors, and service. And that might sound familiar to some of you. So first, let's look at the sinners in the text. If you have your Bibles open, look with me at verse 1. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing and sealed uh, on both, with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And we look at this picture. We look at this picture and see him sitting on a throne. And we just need to stop and dwell on the majesty of God. This is God most glorious, most awesome. And there he sits, bright and beautiful. And in his hand is a scroll with writing on both sides. means it contains the entire plan of God for creation and fall and redemption and consummation, but it's sealed with seven seals, which means it's completely locked up tight. No one can, no one could open it, right? And then we hear in verse 2, a mighty angel proclaim, who is worthy to open, to break the seals and open the scroll? Now, worthy isn't a word that we use all that often, but it, is a, it isn't a foreign word to us. Worthy is, we say, what is, it, what is it worth to you? But worthy in here, in this text, means to bring something into equilibrium, to make it equal to or of the same value. So the angel is asking, who is equal with God that he or she should be able to open the scroll? Who is like God that they can reveal God's Will Who can stand before God himself and tell of what God plans for eternity? For unless someone opens the scroll, the contents for God's triumph would not happen. And then we get verse 3. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. John wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Now the person who's writing this letter, John, he weeps and weeps because he knows as he sees this vision that he is unworthy to open the scroll. In fact, there's no one who is worthy in the entire human race to stand before God and open the scroll. And there is no one worthy because of sin. Now, this might be uh, pretty basic to you, but I want to lay the foundation. We need to get the foundation right before we think about the Savior and then, and then the service. I don't know what you think about sin, but it's important that we think rightly about sin. Because sin is when we disobey God whether we know it or not. And we can sin by doing something wrong, or we can sin by not doing something right. Now, the first sin happened in a garden a long time ago. Adam and Eve, I read it in my devotions this morning, Genesis 3. A man and a woman in a garden disobeyed God and ate something, touched a tree and ate something from a tree that they were not supposed to touch. And because of that disobedience, sin spread throughout the whole human race. It has so poisoned our nature that we are born sinners 
corrupt from conception on. And this isn't hard to see. This isn't hard to see. My son, Jude, for instance, you can hear him. He, when I took him in my arms and I was baptizing him, I said to him, Jude Lee Gandhi, I, my little sinner, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it didn't take, it didn't take him long to prove me correct. It didn't take him long to prove me right that he's a little sinner. Uh, we might be uh, uh, doing something in the kitchen and then he'll, he'll open the drawer where the sharp knives are and we'll say, Jude Lee, no, no, no. Or he might be pulling at the dog's hair and we say, Jude Lee, no, no, no. Or he might be getting into the medicine cabinet and we'll say, Jude Lee, no, no, no. And you know what he does? He looks at his mom or he looks at me, he smiles, and then he just keeps doing what he does only faster. Much faster. And you might say, but that is only a child. That's only a little boy. Just being a child, being a little boy, but at risk of offending you, and I'm going to risk it, I have to say that you and I are sinners too. We have a natural tendency to not want to do what God tells us to do or to do what God doesn't want us to do, to covet the best things for ourselves, to lie, to get ahead, to idolize other things instead of putting God first. It's a, it's a bitterness. It's a foul stench sin is before God. I don't know if you've uh, been out early in the mornings. I walk my dogs early in the mornings, and we've seen quite a few skunks lately. And if you've ever had a dog sprayed by a skunk, that's kind of what, what sin is like. It permeates everything. It's a, it's a foul stench before a holy God, and it makes us unworthy. And that's our first point. We are sinners who are unworthy. You and I are not worthy to stand before a holy God. You and I are not worthy to take up a scroll. You and I are not worthy to go before God and open a scroll. We are not worthy hardly even to worship Him. There is nothing in you that makes you worthy of being saved. Our good deeds are as filthy as rags, and we are incapable of saving ourselves. So in our book, in this Revelation book, in the book of Revelation, it means that we cannot un- unlock the scroll or open it or read its contents, and what we deserve is nothing short of hell. If the book were to stop right here at this, at this part, we would deserve hell, and that's what we would be destined for, of torment and separation And so this weeping in verse 4 is an accurate emotion. John weeping, weeping, because we are doomed. We should be lost without some saving, some rescuing, without someone being worthy to open the scroll and reveal God's plan. We are lost. And I don't want to pass over this lightly. Take a good look at yourself, Ellsworth. Spend some time putting your heart and your mind under a magnifying glass and root out any sin within you and see that with just sin, we are totally unworthy. I'm right there, and I weep, and I weep because without someone like Jesus, I would be lost. But I say I would be because this text does have good news for us too this morning. Look, this is our second point. There's a Savior who is worthy. Look at verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. 
And so, of course, these are titles for Jesus. The line of the tribe of Judah speaks of Genesis 49, where a descendant from a tribe called Judah would, would descend from. And then the root, the root of David is a title that speaks to another prophecy from the book of Isaiah chapter 11. It says there that a shoot will come out from the stump of Jesse, and it describes Jesus who was born from the house and line of King David. It had almost been wiped out, but Jesus comes from that line. And our text says that this lion, this root, this Jesus has triumphed. He has defeated sin and Satan and conquered the grave. But this conquering happens in a very, very unique way. You and I would think of conquering by taking a sword and marching into battle. But look at verse 5. Uh, verse 6, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. In verse 9, it says, you are worthy, Jesus, to take the, seal, the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. First, the allusion to the lamb. In the Old Testament, God planned for his people to ask for forgiveness, for temporary means of forgiveness, by taking a perfectly spotless lamb and by slaughtering the lamb and taking its blood and sprinkling it uh, before God to show that something had died in their place. And it was a perfect spotless lamb and they could kill it and offer it as a replacement, a sacrifice it was called, instead of them dying and the blood of the lamb was put before God as a, something that, as a, a sign that something had paid the price for sin. But it had to be repeated again and again and again. People would sacrifice a lamb to make payment or atone for their sins. But then God sent his son, Jesus, to earth. And he lived a perfect life. He didn't sin at all. He perfectly obeyed God even to death. Whereas a sinless person, he didn't need to die, but he stood in our place. Even in the New Testament, John the Baptist looks at Jesus and he says, look, see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus shed his blood, but applied it to our account. His blood was poured out for us, it atoned for our sin. He stood in our place. It's kind of like that story of the whipping boy. Do you know that story of the whipping boy? That story where a young prince was very, very naughty and he needed to be punished. But instead of the young prince being punished, they take a young boy about his same age and they whip him instead. And, and of course, the young whipping boy gets the punishment. The young prince doesn't learn a lesson at all. And then you would say, well, the young whipping boy didn't do it voluntarily. And of course, the young prince didn't learn the fear of punishment. But Jesus took our place on his own. And he took the punishment because of his love for you and for me. And that's why the writer of Hebrews, uh, the writer, the writer of, of, of Revelation says in verse 9, And with your blood you purchased. Now, since Jesus was slain and his blood was poured out to redeem people from all over the world, he proves to be worthy to 
take the scroll and open open the seals. And he can reveal God's will for you and for me. And he can stand before a just and holy God. And that's our second point. We see a Savior who is worthy, worthy of worship, worthy of praise. That's what our text says in verse 12. Does verse 12 say, Worthy is the Lamb, says the, says the angel in a loud voice. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. No one else deserves worship. No one else is worthy. There is one faith, one Lord. There is one way to heaven and to eternal life, and that is Jesus Christ. And for what he has done, He should be worshipped and praised. And that's our third point. How do we respond? We've seen the sin in the text. We know the sin in our lives. We've seen the Savior, how he was a lamb that was slaughtered for us, but has triumphed in that way. And now we say, what do we do? People of God, how do we serve? What do we do? How do we respond? And our third point is this. We worship. If there is anything, if there is one way that we should respond to this, it is in great and glorious worship to our God. Now, the thing about worship is you already are a worshiper. You already worship. You might say, well, yeah, of course I come to church, but I want to say you're a worshiper if you love if you love to go hunting. You already, you already will speak to people about how much you love to go hunting. If you love poetry, you already speak to people about how much you love the great poets of old. If you love to walk, you praise the countryside. You praise your favorite game. You might praise the weather today, but tomorrow it's Michigan. You never know. You might praise wine or dishes or actors. I could go on. We naturally praise. We naturally worship. We spend our lives in worship. So there is no greater way to spend our lives than worshiping God. I don't mean playing a harp and prancing around on clouds. I mean going out to work in the fields or at the office or in the barn. I mean tending to your children or volunteering because you are retired. I mean in prayer and rising and lying down, give to Jesus glory and honor and praise. And that's how this chapter ends, isn't it? Hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of voices crying out to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever and ever. And you might say, yeah, 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 I get it. I know that I have to worship. But what work do I have to do? A wise man once said to me, one must first be a worshiper of God before one can be a worker for him. So I ask you, beloved, in closing, do you worship? Does your heart flutter at a chance to come on a Sunday into this church and make much of Jesus? Do you want to come on a Sunday morning and taste and see that the Lord is good, or do you just come because this is what you've always done? This is what we do on a Sunday. This is what I hope my kids do. This is what I hope my grandkids do because it's what we do on a Sunday. Or is Sunday a day of worship when I hope my kids and my grandkids dwell on the riches of God's 
mercy. And maybe, maybe you need to examine before we worship every inch of your life and say, does this bring glory to Jesus? Am I showing Jesus glory to others? Do I want others to worship and glorify God? Do I want people to worship him? And lastly, I'll say this. If you're here this morning and you don't yet know the Lord, I don't know everyone here. I can't assume that everyone knows the Lord. Maybe you've yet to trust him and his goodness. Maybe you don't see Jesus as any, anything more than a good teacher. That's all right. I just encourage you to look deeper into this book, this one, and look at what it says about you and what it says about what Jesus did for you because there's nothing that you could so consider. And in fact, consider everything else a loss as to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. He is worthy to be worshipped and praised. Amen. Let us spend some time in prayer. Father God, we thank you and we praise you and we know very well that you are our God. And Lord Jesus, we come before you knowing that we need to worship you and that often we don't rightly do that. But we come before you now asking for forgiveness, for your spirit to wash us clean and wash over us and to encourage us to come before you to worship, to worship you to make much of Jesus, to make much of Christ, for we have many, many reasons, many, many reasons to make much of you. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that as we do that, that you would be praised in what we say and what we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our song of response this morning, our uh, song of Uh, Thanksgiving is 10,000 reasons, and I encourage you to think through these words, though it might be a familiar...